Corinthians 4 and 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Can you say the lost? In whom the God of this world hath binded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, somebody say, it's not about me, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. One more scripture, Proverbs 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I like that. I like that. How about you? I want to talk to you this morning for just a few minutes on this subject, habits of highly effective soul winners. Habits of highly effective soul winners. I don't know about you, but I want to be the best soul winner that I can be. How many want to be a soul winner? Can you just lift your hands if you want to win somebody to the Lord? There are lots of soul winners that are already here. And as your hands are lifted, would you lift them? And let's just pray for this lesson today. You can put your Bibles down for just a minute. Lord, I love you and I thank you today. Lord, I pray that you would be with us through this lesson. I pray that the Holy Ghost would be in here. I pray that you would minister to somebody. Lord, touch our hearts. Lord, touch our minds. Help us, Lord, to be the best that we can be. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody high-five your neighbor as you're seated and tell them, you're a soul winner. Come on, just yell them at him. You're a soul winner. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. Oil is something that we have a lot of nowadays. It's very valuable and useful in our society. Planes could not fly without oil, and cars could not drive. You can buy it practically at any store that you go to. However, oil was not always so accessible. In the early 1800s, they would push their ships out into the deep waters, and they would literally hunt for whales for years at a time. And the reason that they would hunt for these whales was for the whale oil. They would kill the whale and they would use the oil for burning lamps and for different purposes because the oil brought light into their world. They would go to extreme measures to obtain this precious thing called oil. People died trying to chase after these Whales, it blows my mind. They didn't have motors back then. They didn't they weren't cruising around in speedboats chasing whales. They literally got in a big wooden ship and let the wind push them around until they saw some whales. And then when they would see the whales, they would get in these little rowboats. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw a whale, I would not get in a smaller boat. I would stay in the bigger one. When they saw a whale, they would get in the smaller boat and they would go out to the whales and they would, they would spear them because they were so desperate for oil. They would leave their families for years at a time. 
These were the extreme measures that they were forced to take until the Pennsylvania oil rush of 1859 when they discovered that oil could come from the ground. They had been standing on it this whole time. It had been right under their feet the whole time. You're probably saying, Brother Nathan, what are you trying to say today? I'm saying that what you have is so valuable, and it's what people are looking for. The Holy Ghost is more valuable than anything that you have. Did you know that? The gospel is the most valuable thing that you've ever learned. Can I get an amen? How many love the gospel? The gospel. Aren't you so thankful that somebody told you about the gospel? Aren't you thankful that somebody cared enough about you to tell me to tell you about the gospel? It's the most valuable thing that we have. And wouldn't it be a shame if your friends and your family and coworkers and your community were spiritually out chasing whales, if you would, when the gospel was standing right in front of them in the form of you? Did you know that lots of your friends and family are out chasing whales? They're out looking for something to make them feel better. They're out looking for something that's valuable, and it's been right there with them the whole time. It's called you. Somebody take your finger and say, me. That's me. You are a well of knowledge because you are born again, because you are a child of God. You are so valuable to them because you need to understand that you have what they're looking for. They're they're looking for something that's going to bring them joy and that's going to bring them peace. They want to know that their kids, that their babies are going to heaven. The world that's lost, they're not just out there. Some people are out to do bad and some people are out to to get people, but not everybody's bad. A lot of people just don't know what to do. They just don't know where to go. But did you know that because you are in their life and you have the gospel, you have the power to change their life? That's an amazing thing. What we have is valuable. Can you shout valuable? You can change the world and you will change the world. Because what you have brings light into their their world. And they're so desperate for it. We know that we have the answer. That's not the question. The question is, what habits can I develop to be effective in reaching the lost? Effective simply means successful in producing a desired or intended result. Somebody look at your neighbor one more time. Just look at him in the eyes. Make him a little bit uncomfortable. You know, they're waking up. Look at him right in the eyes. And just tell him, you can be a soul winner. Yeah, you can. You can be a soul winner. And, and to be completely honest with you, I was a little bit hesitant to teach this message just because humility came over me. And I thought, Lord, 
I'm, I'm, I want to win so many more people. I'm, I'm so thankful for the people that God's brought into my life. I'm so thankful that I've been able to win some people to the Lord. That those have been the greatest experiences of my life, seeing my friends get baptized in Jesus' name and seeing my coworkers get the Holy Ghost. Those are some of the greatest moments of my life. And, but, but I want to do so much more. I kept thinking, Lord, how can I teach? But, but what God, I feel the Holy Ghost is calling us to reach for people. We've been talking to the youth group. The entire month of May is going to be Go Ye Therefore. We're going to be teaching the youth group how to give Bible studies. We're going to be teaching them about the oneness of God and Jesus' name baptism. And how do you tell your friends about it? And we're going to be talking to them, and then they're going to teach for 10 minutes about that subject in youth class. And then for the next 30 minutes, I get to be an atheist and question them. We're going to have fun, y'all. So I'm very passionate about this subject right now. Brother T, could you stand up for me real quick? And there's so many people I could have stand, but we don't have time. Everybody look at Brother T real quick. He's a soul winner. He's a soul winner. And that's just one example. Thank you, Brother T. I love Brother T. He inspires me every day. Every time I see it. I've never gone out to eat with Brother T where he did not talk to somebody about Jesus. I have never been out with him where he did not give somebody a church card. He inspires me. I want to be more like him. And he's just one of many people in this church, many soul winners that reach out to this community And did you know that that's why this church is here? A church doesn't start with 200 people on Sunday morning. It usually starts with somebody who feels called to be a pastor. And they start inviting people to church. And that's why we're all here today. So somebody say, thank God for soul winners. So we know that we have the answer. So I just want to give you some tips today on how to be an effective soul winner. Some of these tips are things that I've learned just from personal experience as a young man, just what I have learned so far of being able to talk to people about Jesus and and how can I get them to come to church? How can I, uh, I, you know, I want them to be baptized. How can I get them to be baptized? If they need the Holy Ghost, I, I want them to get the Holy Ghost. And so I ask myself the question, what can I do? What can I say? And how can I act to be the most effective soul winner that I can be? Because not everybody's gonna come to church that you invite but if you invite 100 people, if just one comes, it's, it's all good, right? Just one comes. That's being effective. To be an effective soul winner is not just the numbers. It's the activity. To be an effective soul winner is to just do it. You have to do it. You have to be consistent. It's not about how many people have got the Holy Ghost that you've given a Bible study. It's not about how many have been baptized. I pray hundreds have been. But if not, that doesn't mean that you're not an effective soul winner. There are people that you're giving Bible studies to right now, and they will be filled with the Holy Ghost, and they will be baptized in Jesus' name, and you will see their lives change. It just hasn't happened yet. Can you say that's faith? We need to have faith. So... These are what I believe to be habits of highly effective soul winners. Some things that I have been blessed to be able to do and lots of things that I've seen Brother T do or Pastor do or or all kinds of soul winners that I've been honored. I've been very blessed in my life to know a lot of awesome soul winners. 
And I love that, and I've been able to learn from them. So everybody hold up one finger. We're going to start with one. Now, you're not going to believe this. I've got nine of them, and I don't have a lot of time. So I'm, I may not even get it all done, but that's okay. I'm really passionate about it, and so I just go on and on and on and on and on about it. But the good thing is is that we're in Sunday school, so I have to stop at 1045. Somebody say hallelujah. One. Believe what you teach. Mark 1.15, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. So here's an extremely important tip that must be the basis for every Bible study that you give. So the reason that this is number one is you can't teach somebody about Jesus' name baptism if you don't believe in Jesus' name baptism. If, if in your heart you don't believe that it's important to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, you will never be able to win somebody to the Lord if you don't believe it yourself. You may think that they think that you believe it, but guess what? The sinner knows that you don't believe it. They smell, I mean, they smell unbelief all over you. If you're giving somebody a Bible study and you don't believe what you're saying, that sinner's like, yeah, right. They can smell an unbelief, they hunt unbelievers. They've been tracking them for years. So the first thing you have to do, you have to believe it. It's got to be in your heart. You've got to have the revelation. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. You've got to know that in your heart. And when you're convinced of it, it's a lot easier to convince somebody else of it. Clap your hands to the Lord and just say thank you, Jesus. Don't be ashamed of what you believe. Don't, don't be so concerned about, about what they're going to think of you. If you believe it, they're going to respect that. And if you live it, they're going to respect that. Number two, can you hold up two fingers real quick for me? Somebody say peace. All right. Two, illuminate. Matthew 5 and 14 says, Ye are the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. If you'll position yourself with God, you can't help but shine. It doesn't matter where you go or where you're at. If you're a city on a hill, they're going to see it. Don't hide your light. Don't hide your joy. This might offend some of you. A distressed and a depressed Christian cannot be a soul winner. Do you know why? Because they can find depression and sadness in the world. They don't want to go to the church to get that. They want to go to the church to get away from that. And so if you're inviting somebody to church, well, well, you know, God is good. You know, I'm going through a lot, but you should come to my church. I'm praying to God. They're not going to come to your church. You've closed that door already, honey. They're not coming. Because they're thinking, well, I can get depression anywhere. I can go get sadness at Walmart. 
I don't need to go to church to do that. Don't hide your light. You, even if you don't feel like it, you need to live in joy. If that means that if you're going to work and if you're having a bad day, you don't need to act like you're having a really bad day. Because all it takes is one really bad day for your witness to be scratched out. All it takes is one really bad day where you said the wrong thing and you treated somebody the wrong way and you've lost your witness. You've lost your testimony. That means even when you don't feel like it, you need to step into work and go, it's a good day. Boy, God is good today. And I'm thinking in my mind, oh, it's going to be a long day. It's Monday. Oh, going to be so many customers. In my mind, I'm thinking, this is not going to be a good day. But in my outward appearance, I'm saying it's going to be a good day. Somebody has to step out of that and be the, joy, be the Holy Ghost life of the party. Be, be the person that they always know is going to smile. Is this too simple for you guys? If you won't do that, you can't be a soul winner. They're not going to want to come to your church. Okay, number three, set the standard. Let me be very clear when I say this. A child of God does not go by the world's standard. The world doesn't set the standard. You do. Based on the word of God. Numbers 1 and 52. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, and every man by his own standard throughout their host. They don't draw the line in the sand. You do. They don't decide what you watch. You do. They don't decide what's acceptable to talk about in mixed company. You do. You will never win a world that you're trying to blend into. Let me break it down. You can't be in the club on Saturday with them. And be given a Bible study on Sunday with them. They don't want you to blend in. They want somebody to stand out and say that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. And guess who they're going to come to in the altar? Guess who they want to pray for them now? Would you pray for me? Because you're not trying to blend in. They don't set the standard The world doesn't set the standard of what's right and wrong for the church. God sets the standard of what's right and wrong for the church. And if you live by the word of God, you'll have a testimony. Take authority. Set the standard. Do what's right even when nobody else is doing it. They're watching you. And they may make, when I was a teenager, there was all kinds of movies and things that I didn't watch. And I felt like a total idiot. I felt like an outcast. And then one day in church, every single one of them that were watching that movie, when I walked out, every single one of them walked up to the altar and said, would you pray for me? I'm not right. My life is not right. And I felt dumb at the time. But later I realized that somehow I was able to impact them. And I didn't feel like it at the time. You're not always going to feel like you're making a difference right at the time. Sometimes it's years down the road. Somebody comes up to you and say, my life's messed up. I want what you have. Number four, this one is really good. Okay, this is one of my favorites. Don't be afraid to say I don't know. That's a tough one. Proverbs 16 and 18 
Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. You will never win a soul on personal opinion. If somebody asks you a question concerning the Bible and you don't know, it is not okay to make up an answer. Y'all so serious. It's not okay. False doctrine is never okay. And you will never win somebody to the Lord by acting like you know something when you have no idea what you're talking about. You, you know what makes you do that? Do you know what leads you to make up an answer? Pride. You're too prideful to admit that you don't know. And so, well, maybe there isn't one. Maybe there's three. Well, I don't know. Well, maybe. Well, I think. Well, no. You need to say, I don't know, but I'm going to get the answer. I've got a great pastor. He's got a PhD. He knows everything about the Bible you could ever want to know. And I'm going to go talk to him, and he's going to help me out, and I'll be right back. Don't be too prideful to admit that you don't know something. You don't know everything. I don't know everything. Do you know how many times I have gone to ask somebody something about the Bible because I did not understand it? That's what you have to do. Pride keeps you from doing that. Pride tells you that you know everything and that if you don't know it, you can make it up and then that'll be right. It's not right. Don't make it up. You're going to confuse him, and he'll never come to church with you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Number five, confidence must never be mistaken for arrogance. You must be confident about what you believe. It's very easy to shut down when somebody asks you a question about the Bible. Because in your mind, it's pride. What if I don't know? What if they ask me a question and I don't know what to say? And so we shut down. But you can be scared and confident at the same time. To be confident is not the absence of fear, but the presence of God. You're scared because life can be scary, but you're confident because you know without doubt that God's word is true and that Jesus has changed your life and you have a testimony. And so even though you feel scared, it's okay. Nobody said you're not going to be scared talking to somebody about the Bible. It's okay to be scared, but you've got to be scared in yourself and confident in him. I may not know everything, but he knows everything. I may not have the answer, but the word of God has the answer. Confidence, though, you have to be careful with confidence because confidence, if it's not used in the Holy Ghost, if you don't walk in the spirit, it comes across as arrogance. It can come across as you acting like you know everything and they don't know anything. And when you approach a sinner with that attitude, they won't hear anything that you have to say. And so you have to humble yourself. And you have to talk to them with confidence in the Lord. 
Proverbs 3 and 26, for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Proverbs 14 and 26, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge. The confidence is not in yourself. The confidence is in him. Because we know that we were unworthy sinners. We know that we've made all kinds of mistakes, but he was worthy and he cared for us. And because of him, we have a new life and the old man is dead and the new man rises up. And so we can stand up in confidence of who we are and we can tell somebody about Jesus. Do you know how many people will not talk to somebody about Jesus because they feel ashamed of their past or they feel ashamed about something that they did and so the devil tells you that you can't win somebody to the Lord? I rebuke it in Jesus' name. You can win somebody to the Lord. You're not who you used to be. You're not the old man. You're the new man and God's given you a new life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Somebody say hallelujah. Number six. I call this the one soul principle. Luke 15 and 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one. Could you say one? Over one sinner that repenteth. The Bible says that the angels rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance If you give witness to 100 people and only one sinner comes to repentance and is born again, it was worth all 100 of those Bible studies that you just gave. God cares about that soul. Salvation is a big deal. Make sure they know it. What does that mean? That means if you're giving somebody a Bible study and they have now been baptized in Jesus' name, and they have been filled with the Holy Ghost, that doesn't mean you ignore them now. Can I be real with you for just a second? You think they're done. That's the start of their journey. That's not the end of it. And so every time you see them in church, when we have people come in, they get the, they get the Holy Ghost, they're baptized, and, and they have an experience with God, but they haven't been converted yet. They haven't started walking with God yet. And so now it's our job to say, that's a big deal. That's awesome that you got baptized. That's awesome that you got the Holy Ghost. You need to keep coming to church. You need to come hang out with me at Starbucks. We'll keep talking about the Bible. It's a big deal. And when they make that step, you need to throw a party. You need to get excited. You've been talking about baptism for years and they got baptized. You ought to shout. You ought to get excited. How confusing is that to somebody? If you've been telling them they need to be baptized for years and they get baptized and they come out of the water and you're like, cool. That's confusing to them because you've built it up for years. It's a big deal. Make sure they know it. Make sure they know that you're excited about what God has done for them. Salvation is a big deal. Rejoice when they go down in the water. Worship with them when they cry tears of joy. God cares. The angels care. And so we care. Number seven. This one I really like, and I try to practice this. Pray on sight. Second Critical 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin 
and I will heal their land. Wherever you do outreach, pray there. Don't wait until you get home. If you're knocking doors, have prayer right there in that neighborhood. If you're on a college campus, pray on campus. If your coworker needs prayer, pray for them on site at your job. Take apostolic authority. You are the temple of God. And wherever you go, the house of prayer should go with you. You don't have to just pray in church. You should be praying everywhere that you go. Do you know how many times? I work at a bank, if you didn't know. Did you know how many times somebody has come up to me at the bank and said, would you pray for me right now? If I told them that I could not pray for them because this is a place of business, I've lost my testimony. So they can fire me if they want. They never have. Actually, they usually like it. I'm going to be honest. It's never a big deal. You've built this thing up in your head so much. It's never a problem. I've never had an issue praying for somebody right where I was at. I've prayed in McDonald's. I've prayed at the hotel lobby. I've prayed at the bank. There's a, there was a girl that I used to work with, and she was always so afraid that we were going to get robbed. I mean, she lived in fear of robbery. Like, it, it was like all she thought about. And she was like, one day, this suspicious-looking character was walking outside the bank, and he just kept walking around, and that's a red flag, if you didn't know that. If they're casing the joint, that's a red flag. And so she goes into panic mode. This guy's just walking around the bank. Nathan, we're going to get robbed. Listen, listen, listen. She's panicking. I'm trying to calm her down. Listen, I have walked around this entire building, and I have pled the blood of Jesus over this entire building. And I told her, it's all going to be okay. And she went, I feel so much better now. Because she believed in the power of prayer. And I didn't even know it. Pray on sight. Pray where you're at. Pray loud. Pray loud. Don't sit down. Don't sit down at the dinner table. So who's going to pray? Well, in the name of Jesus, I pray. No. In the name of Jesus, bless this steak to my body right now. Pray loud. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Just pray with a loud voice. Watch what happens. Tell me about it. Somebody's going to come up to you and ask you about your church. Somebody's going to come up to you and say that they used to be in church. And, and they wouldn't have known it if they hadn't heard you. Woo! Number eight. Listen. That's the point. You don't have to listen. Listen. <laughs> have you ever met somebody who really likes to talk, but they don't like to listen? Have you ever met somebody like that? Probably wasn't, probably wasn't the most enjoyable to talk to. They, they, you probably didn't enjoy the conversation that much, did you? When you're giving a Bible study, it's absolutely essential that, what you, list, that you listen to what they say. Do not interrupt them. Even if you disagree with them, theologically, do not interrupt them. 
Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they believe. Listen to what they're going through. Listen about their kids. Listen about their mom and dad. Listen about their family. And when they're done talking, it's your turn. But if you'll interrupt them, I guarantee you they will interrupt you. And so now when you're telling them about the gospel, you can say, I didn't interrupt you. Why are you interrupting me? And you can tell them about the gospel and they'll listen to you now because you listen to them. You'd be amazed how many people I've seen give Bible studies and I never actually heard the sinner say anything. I didn't even know what their voice sounded like. And I, had, I, I don't even know what, what their situation is. I don't know what they believe. I don't know who their family is. I don't know how old they are. I don't know where they work. I want to know those things. I want to know what you're going through. If you're, if you're a salesman, I've, I've had to work in sales on and off for about five years. The very first thing they teach you is when the customer comes up to your window, listen to them. And when you listen, I want you to listen to cues and clues because that's how you're going to tell what they need. And when you figure out what they need, then you can sell the product. When you're listening to somebody, somebody who you're trying to win to the Lord, you're listening for cues and you're listening for clues. You're trying to figure out what they're going through and how can you minister to their life. If somebody is going through a trial, oftentimes their heart is very open to the word of God because they're hungry. And when you figure out that they're going through that and they open up to you, it is amazing what God can do. Stand with me. We have one more point that I'm going to have to make. I'm out of time. Y'all, I could talk about this all day. Number nine. So the seed. Luke 8 and 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprang up with it, and it choked it. And others fell on good ground, and it sprang up And it bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Jesus was telling us that some seed is going to fall on the rock. Some seed is going to fall on the thorns. And some seed is going to fall on the good ground. But the parable here that we need to remember what Jesus was trying to teach us is you don't determine which ground is good or not. You throw it on the rock. Throw it on the thorns. Throw it on the good ground. You don't determine what soil is worthy of the gospel. We don't determine who is worthy to hear about Jesus. You just throw the soil. And so sometimes what we do is Oh, he looks like he wants the gospel. Oh, he looks like he wants the gospel. Oh, he looks like he want to kill me. And so we choose and we pick, we pick who we want to talk to. Jesus said, if they look as hard as a rock, just throw the seed at them. It may grow. You don't determine. It, they may be ready. 
And so no matter who they are or how tough you think they are, you don't determine whether or not to sow the seed. Just sow the seed. Just keep throwing it. Maybe the ground doesn't look like it has any hope of anything growing there. Jesus just said, just throw it everywhere you go, and I'll determine where it grows. And when it grows on the good ground, he said it will grow a hundredfold. Because if somebody had done that with you or you and I, the seed wouldn't have been thrown on our lives because we wouldn't have been worthy. If somebody had looked at me or looked at you and said they're not worthy of the seed, we may not be here today. In closing, could you lift your hands and would you just lift up your voice and just pray loud for just a second? Pray loud for just a second. And let's, pr- let's, pr- let's thank God. Just Thank God somebody witnessed to me. Thank God somebody cared about me, God. Lord, help me to develop habits so I can be effective. Help me to develop habits so I can be a soul winner. I am a soul winner, God. I am empowered because I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. God, help me to pray loud wherever I go, God. Help me not to be ashamed of this thing, but let me live it out loud, God. Let me give it everything I've got. And we're going to bring as many people into the house of God as you'll allow. In Jesus' name, could you clap your hands to the Lord and just give him a loud praise. I love you, Jesus.